Mayo, do you have any progressive web apps saved to your iPhone's home screen? Um, no. <laughs> Me, or I have one. It's for the Xbox Cloud Gaming website, which we'll actually talk about <laughs> more later too. But for now, Apple has confirmed that iOS 17.4 in the European Union removes support for progressive web apps, or as Apple calls them, home screen web apps. Apple says that this is basically a byproduct of the Digital Markets Act, saying that they would have had to build a system to allow third-party web engine browsers to also have home screen web apps, and they could not do that. Or they didn't want to. Well, they said that they could do it. They didn't. They, here, their quote is that that was not practical to undertake given the other demands of the DMA and the very low adoption of home screen web apps. I think most of this actually just boils down to the DMA's requirement that all browsers have equality. So if Safari Safari can't have home screen web apps, if third-party browser engine apps like whatever Google or Mozilla is working on also can't have home screen web apps. Yeah, so rather than everybody getting it, nobody gets it. And yeah, that, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when this story went up, there was some pushback from like Android, um, the Android camp, like, oh, we've had progressive web apps from any browser for donkey's years or whatever um, on Android. And I'm sure you do. Uh, in the Apple case, I think they A, haven't bothered to engineer it before because they've never supported alternative browser engines. Right. And they have arguably higher standards for privacy and security in isolation so they would have to commit engineering work to make something to make this possible it's not just like well you can just do whatever you want um so they obviously see the uh user statistics of home screen web apps as pretty low and so they can't they they don't really want to bother <laughs> for for just europe i'm sure if europe insisted like if you know firefox and chrome and stuff that campaign to uh, the EU Commission at some point it might become significant enough they would they would implement it, uh, but they just can't be bothered because a you'd have you're doing all this work to support third party browsers which ostensibly might not even exist on the platform because yeah. of the because of the you know monetization structure of the core technology fee and all that stuff that uh, it may not even exist at all. So um, and you know firefox has complained that they're going to have to make two separate browser binaries one for the eu and one for the rest of the world because you can only deploy your browser engine within the european union not anywhere else so uh, i think apple was just made an engineering call here more than anything like i don't really see um this is a tr strategic decision that oh if we block these app these um web apps on the home screen it's going to make more people stay with the app stores like that's not really a factor because you've been able to make PWAs from Safari for 10 years. I mean, even the original iPhone, you could put a home screen web app shortcut. And then more recently, they've adopted the, you know, the official like standards APIs for PWAs. And not many people do it because you can just get the app through the store or apps that are more complicated than that don't really work inside of the web engine, right? So there's not really much demand for it from either like, you know, the actual mainstream customer base or the alternative browser engine customer base. So at this moment right now, for 17.4 release, Apple's made a probably quite practical engineering decision that they're like, we can't bother to do this work. So no one's going to do it. And to be clear, if you're in the, this only applies to if you're within the European Union uh, affected by the rest of the DMA changes. Mm -hmm. And if you make home screen web app shortcuts from 17.4 onwards in that region, 
they just launch they just basically deep link to the browser so they don't because the, the thing that really distinguishes the pwas is that you don't have the chrome like the toolbar and the you know the tab bar and everything and you get some extra functionality like the ability to do push notifications and that kind of thing um whereas now it will just basically open your chosen default browser to the url of the short of the home screen website you don't get the additional pwa functionality so it kind of sucks if you do happen to rely on something like that but i don't think many people do so they just turned it off <laughs> yeah i don't think it's strategic really at all it's a weird thing to be strategic about since it seems like nobody really uses it but it is one of i think we'll probably find a few side effects of the dma that maybe the regulators didn't really think about and Apple does kind of leave the door open to doing it at some point in the future, even if they aren't actually pressured by regulators to do it. So I think we might see progressive web apps come back. But yeah, I don't think, I really don't think they're that. I don't think they're as widespread as some people on the Android subreddit might want you to think. <laughs> yeah, it's just normal people don't use them. It's just, just a fact. Uh, and to be fair to Apple... They have done quite a lot of engineering work to make third-party browser engines supported on the platform. Um, uh, like, the, you know, all of the inter-process communication and, and sandboxing of the JavaScript um, interpreter and the and the JIT, like all of that stuff, they could have made an argument to the EU Commission that that stuff is, you know, so important for security that we're only going to do it for Safari and nowhere else. But they actually did the engineering work to offer those APIs to third parties too in a way that they think is safe enough so i don't think you can say that they've been like you know maliciously complying on that basis yeah. they've been they've been pretty forward with it there are plenty of other instances in their compliance with the dma that maybe could be viewed as maliciously compliant but this is exactly this isn't one yeah. of them you can kind of see the the business policy and then the engineering policy stuff you know like yeah. the engineering mm -hmm. okay well we you know we don't necessarily want to do all this stuff but if we're going to do it we're going to do it properly and then you can see some of the business side where it's more like we're sticking to the letter of the law, <laughs> not the spirit of the law, like the core technology fee stuff, right? That prohibits a lot of businesses from being able to financially survive outside Exist, of the Exist, yeah. Yeah. Should we keep the EU coverage rolling and talk about Apple's $500 million fine in the European Union? for its anti-competitive app store policy rules, specifically as they apply to music streaming. So this was the Financial Times who said that the EU Commission is preparing a fine of $538 million against Apple. This is the investigation prompted by Spotify's complaint specifically around Apple's anti-steering provisions in the app store guidelines. So the EU believes that Apple acted illegally in blocking music streaming apps like Spotify from telling customers about other ways to subscribe to their services. I.e. allowing links to their website to subscribe. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So $538 million. And this hasn't been actually announced by the European Union Commission just yet. It's the Financial Times saying that it's about to happen. And when the fine when the fine's announced, there'll probably also be um, constraints on policy change as well forcing them to change right, their weights yeah. it's not just like here's a 500 million dollar fine carry on like you're doing it'll be here's a 500 million dollar fine and we want you to make sure that you do this this and this going forward some of this complaint dates back to like pre any of the more recent changes mm -hmm. um like around reader apps and stuff like that so it, it all has back to like a a, a a formal complaint from spotify in 2019 and it just takes this long for it to you know percolate through the courts i'm sure apple will argue and has argued 
in their discussions and their negotiations with the commission that the changes they have made since, such as allowing email communication for reader apps, allowing a link out for account management is sufficient. We'll see whether the EU agrees on that. At least the $500 million fine accounts for infractions before those changes are introduced yeah. in 2022 or whatever. And then we'll see what the requirements are going forward because right now, <sighs> reader apps, which Spotify is one, do get you know, leeway to have a link for account management, but they're not really allowed to use that link to tell you to subscribe online. Like if you open Netflix, it's just like, you can't subscribe here, right? Or you open <laughs> Spotify, it's like, you know, we can't let you subscribe in the app. Sorry about that. You still have to navigate to the website yourself to actually do it. The the external links for like account management and like upselling after the fact maybe. So I, and obviously Spotify just wants free reign to link here, there and everywhere, right? Yeah. And tell people about, well, you can subscribe in the app here, but it will cost you 30% more or, you know, we just want you to go straight to the website here and subscribe. So we'll see what the EU rules on. Um, and whether they do actually enforce that requirement. Uh, the DMA stuff kind of overlaps, but it kind of doesn't because if you're still within, like even post-DMA in March, if you're inside the App Store, you can't talk about other ways to buy on the website mm-hmm. unless you do the core technology fee stuff, right? Like if you're just purely within oh, the App Store yeah. old business term model, it's the same as it is today. So... I presume Spotify's complaint would still be upheld just because, just because there's a way to do it that isn't... Um, or Because if you stay within the App Store, you can also do the um, alternative payment processing solution, right? But for that, then you're still paying 70% commission to Apple, 3% for payment processing, you know, like that whole rigmarole. So Spotify still won't be happy about it. And so I imagine that this complaint here will continue and be upheld with new requirements. So maybe we'll see Apple announce policy changes in the next couple of weeks around that. And this EU ruling, this complaint from Spotify only covers music streaming apps, which is a weird carve out, especially because it's really only Spotify. Like Spotify is the other dominant player compared to Apple Music. But I wonder if this title is holding up a fight. <laughs> yeah, sorry, title. Sorry, title. Sorry, Jay Z. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if this is going to open, kind of pave the way for complaints from Netflix or whoever else is affected by the anti steering rules. And Apple could have to fight. This music streaming battle, a streaming TV battle, um, movie rental and purchase battle, you know, like this could kind of tell Netflix like, hey, you can fight back and you might actually win. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is a a weird quirk of like market definition. So like this complaint specifically about Apple's impact on music streaming and whether they unfairly favored their own service. Um, Apple's, Apple's got that great quote where they're like, the App Store made Spotify the number one music service, which is a funny, you know, rally, but it's kind of irrelevant. Um, and so, yeah, if other companies want to come forward and file complaints to the EU, they might be able to get the same result as the Spotify outcome. But at least right now, we could see a ruling, whichever, whatever the enforcement is, it will be specifically for music streaming and it'll be up to Apple mm-hmm. to charitably apply it to other categories of apps if they wanted to. Just like a good, a good parallel is the Netherlands with the dating apps, right? So like, the dating apps had that big investigation. They had the enforcement, which would allow external links or alternative payment processes. Uh, that was the beginning of the you know external link entitlement stuff. But even in the Netherlands, Spotify can't use that because it's only for dating apps. Like that's how the law is written. So this will be a similar case here for the EU. And again, like you said, the Spotify complaint was in 2019. So if Netflix started a complaint today, probably be resolved around 2029. So we'll be covering this for a long time to come. The last little sort of EU-related thing 
of all of the changes Apple announced for the DMA, it did also announce that game streaming apps are available on the App Store worldwide, so not just in the European Union. I think at the time we speculated that Microsoft would be kind of foolish to not take advantage of this and bring cloud gaming to the App Store. Well, Microsoft's not interested in doing that, apparently. Phil Spencer, I think it was an interview with The Verge, basically said that Microsoft doesn't see a path towards monetization to do this. Do you understand his argument here that no path towards monetization to bring cloud gaming to the not App Store? completely. Or not Not in this... Not in, I, I feel like there's a definite path to bring game streaming to iOS natively because they put it in the rules that you can make an app that does just that. So from my interpretation, they could make an app for Xbox Cloud Gaming just like Netflix does for video streaming. And yeah, you wouldn't be able to... You wouldn't be able to subscribe to the Xbox service in the app without paying Apple commission, but they could let you log in. But as of right now, Apple's reader app guidelines don't really have a carve out for game streaming services. So wouldn't Xbox Cloud Gaming be considered what Apple calls a multi-platform service where Apple says that they can allow users to sign in and access content subscriptions or other things that they've purchased elsewhere so long as those items are also available as in-app purchases within the app using Apple's own in-app purchase system. Because what you said was my first interpretation of it, but then I quickly got corrected by some people that game streaming services are not, at least as of right now, considered reader apps like Spotify and Netflix. Hmm. So maybe he has somewhat of an argument, but I do think that Microsoft could launch cloud gaming and just charge 30% more for the in-app purchase through Apple's system. Yeah, I'm not sure how this works, because before the reader apps were a rule, like, the Kindle app existed. That is true. you could log in with your account. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. sure how the multi-platform... I'm not sure what the multi-platform service thing imposes. Like, because didn't Hey... Like, it, Hey, the Hey email app, right? Like... You can't subscribe to Hey inside the application, but you can log in. Didn't they do something to skirt that guideline? Well, they added they added debate, and it was like a big thing for a while. But like, yeah. I'm pretty sure the ultimate ruling was that they were allowed to exist without offering the subscription directly. I mean, part of this is there's so many like exceptions to the App Store rules That's these the days thing, that yeah. like figuring out exactly what is permitted is kind of weird. But yeah, at least right now, Hey email lets you obviously log in with your account. And does not have in-app purchases. So I'm not sure which part of the rules they now classify under, but the multi-platform services thing doesn't seem to be bulletproof in terms of requiring right. items available as in-app purchases with inside the app as well. I mean, the ideal solution here is Apple just updates the reader guidelines to say game streaming services. Because right now it's magazines, newspapers, books, audio, music, and video. Just tack on game streaming and your Microsoft is golden. Yeah, and that might just be a um a lagging update to the rules because yeah. previously game streaming acts were denied altogether so there's no reason to call them out as allowed i feel like if they that why would apple have added the game streaming allowance affordance in the rules if they weren't trying to get microsoft to come on board you know or like that type of people so i can completely understand that xbox want to allow for like micro microtransactions and stuff which apple won't let you do without using in a purchase but the the base case of just you have an Xbox account, you open the Xbox app, and it doesn't tell you about where to subscribe, it just lets you log in, and then you can access the subscription. 
Because, like, Netflix existed before the reader apps rule was a thing. Like, the reader apps rule allows a link out for account management, but it doesn't say anything about letting you log in. So, somewhere in there, I'm pretty sure Xbox could get through if they didn't um, worry about the, the, like, microtransaction situation. Which, that could ultimately be a bigger problem, but... Yeah, because a lot of games make money off microtransactions. Uh, but, so a path monetization directly through the App Store is probably true because they would have to still monetize outside the store. But if they're going to offer Xbox Cloud Gaming website, just wrap, package that in an app and you just get more exposure because people find you via search, you know, and you get native platform access. So, And this is bad news, I think, for people in the European Union especially. Because, as we just talked about, 17.4 removes progressive web apps from the iPhone. And right now, the way you play cloud gaming in the most ideal, the best possible experience way is by going to Xbox Cloud Gaming, saving the website to your home screen as a progressive web app, then launching it, and it doesn't have the Chrome around it. It's actually a pretty good experience for something that's not a native app. Okay, I've got an update on the multi-platform services interpretation. Am I right or so, am I wrong? I believe you are correct in the sense that apps that operate across multiple platforms may allow users to access content subscriptions or features they have acquired in your app on other platforms on your website, right? So that's one part. So that in, that mm-hmm. counts as subscriptions, yeah? Then part two, or the addendum is, including oh, consumable yeah. items in multi-platform games, provided those items are also available as in-app purchases. So consumable items must be available as in-app purchases, but subscriptions don't have to be. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's why Hayes allowed in because they're a multi-platform service that's a subscription service, not a consumable in-app purchase thing. And the, including consumable items in multi-platform games, games specifically. So that's how Amazon or the Kindle app, for example, was able to exist without offering in-app purchases for books because they aren't games. So that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and so for Xbox... They could bring cloud gaming to the platform, which I think they should do, with a subscription, but they wouldn't be able to offer the monetization of in-app of the in-app game stuff, like you know, cosmetics, consumables, upgrades, that kind of thing. Which they could, they could just charge thirty percent more. They could charge a little bit more, but they'd also need to re-engineer the games to like have account a account for that, yeah, account flow, yeah, and stuff, and like they wouldn't be able to advertise them the same. So there's some engineering complexity there, but I reckon they would. I think partly is that Xbox has just renegotiated, like since the, kind of funnily, like since the original drama about Xbox not being allowed into the App Store, Cloud Gaming, they kind of diverted their plans on what they're working on and like Cloud Gaming's faded into the background slightly. So yeah. when it becomes more a priority again, they might, you know, have another go at it. I don't really think Netflix, like Netflix is actively working on Cloud Gaming at the moment because, you know, they're trying to bring up a gaming division. And so the, the the rule lets them just now offer all their games inside the main Netflix app as once they start streaming them. So they'll be they'll be taking advantage of the relaxed policy for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of focus on Microsoft, but that's probably bigger news. There's Netflix, because then they just get the rights to Grand Theft Auto or something is coming to Netflix Cloud Gaming. So that's it's a big win. Well, well, right now Netflix doesn't have cloud gaming; they only have local gaming. Local gaming, that's right. Yeah, so you can get. GTA, Netflix, through the App Store, but you have to download the separate binary, right? Um, and log in. But they are actively working on right. streaming it from a server. So, soon-ish, they're going to offer Netflix Cloud Gaming too. And there's a free path to get that on iOS now, which I'm sure the Netflix execs are very happy about. So, I think in the course of this discussion, we 
came to the conclusion that maybe Phil Spencer does have a point a little bit for cloud gaming for Microsoft, but they could definitely get a version of cloud gaming through the app store today if they wanted to do if they wanted to yeah yeah and also the other context is that microsoft is at least based on what they announced last year they're working on a game focused app store for the european union of some sort whether or not they move forward with that plan now that we know the full details of apple's compliance i don't know but epic games repeated this week that they're gonna do it yeah they're gonna do the epic game store but like you said, Microsoft's kind of focus may have shifted some in that regard. Yep. Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by Nom Nom. Get 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash happy hour. When your dog isn't feeling their food, you can't always tell. But when they love their meals, you know it. From a peppy step to a healthy coat, and that's what happens when you switch to Nom Nom. Feed your dog real good food with Nom Nom. Nom Nom delivers freshly made dog food with every portion that is personalized to your dog's needs. Nom Nom food is made with real, wholesome ingredients that you can see and recognize without any additives or filters that contribute to things like bloating and low energy. Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real, good food for dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are designed by veterinary nutritionists, freshly made, and shipped free to your door. Now, Chance, you have two dogs, so how do you Mm -hmm. and they like Nom Nom? So, you know, when you come home after not being home for the day and your dogs get really excited to see you and you're, it's a great reminder that your dogs love you and they missed you. I think Blake and Ruby now get more excited when I open the fridge and get Nom Nom out than they ever do about anything else. <laughs> kind of makes me worry that they love Nom Nom more than me. And I also had this realization that both of them are starting to get older. They're about seven years old. And as they get older, we have to start keeping a closer eye on their nutrition and their weight and their diet. Nom Nom makes that super easy. With the prepackaged meals, they just scoop into their bowls and you know that they're getting the nutrition and the calories that they need every day and not anything more. Blake and Ruby, they're laying under my desk right now as we record this, laying on my feet and their bellies are full of Nom Nom breakfast. And they're telling me, they're looking up at me and saying they give it five stars out of five stars. (laughs) Nom Nom has already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours. So join them. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, they will refund your first order. So go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash happy hour. That's spelled T-R-Y-N-O-M dot com slash happy hour for 50% off. Thanks to Nom Nom for sponsoring the show. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg published a new report this week kind of going over some of the things he's talked about before in regard to Apple's plans for artificial intelligence initiatives this year. The one thing he's specifically focused on is Apple's plans to add AI coding and testing features to Xcode. So Mark describes this as operating similarly to Microsoft's GitHub Copilot feature, basically using artificial intelligence to predict code and complete blocks of code. He says that Apple is currently dogfooding this internally, so Apple engineers are being encouraged to use it for their own coding, their own development efforts, and Apple's goal is to launch it to third-party developers later this year. What do you make of this as our resident developer, Mayo? Resident developer opinion coming right in. Can you use it for a bingo machine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can be bothered to code it by hand anymore. Just get the yeah, exactly. software to complete it all for you. So, like, obviously, when you're when you're um, when you're writing code in a IDE like Xcode. You get basic autocomplete already, like it's a long-standing thing. You know, function names, methods, variables, they all pop up as you type, and so you can just type less. 
but the the kind of copilot coding does more complicated completions than just like single tokens right single words or, or single expressions it can do like logic and the kind of things where you can go and chat gpt or whatever and type like make me a python script that does this and makes a graph right and it does like this whole big long thing and it produces a result that 99 percent of the time does what you want it to do that is basically what copilot github copilot makes possible for, I, for other ides in other languages so if you're making a website or something and you're making some javascript and you like start typing the function like share page right and then you wait the autocomplete fills out the rest for you so you don't have to like actively prompt it prompt it like i want to do something where this is and that happens it just kind of infers it from what you've already typed and most of the time what it suggests to you is what you want to happen so you just press enter and you get on with your day and it speeds up a lot of the repetition obviously all the same caveats as any other ai technology applies sometimes it gets it wrong sometimes it gets it 99 right but you need to look over it anyway because it doesn't get it completely right all that happens as well with here but over the last year or so copilot is very very popular and used by a lot of developers however xcode right now does not support plugin extensions like copilot so you can't get any of the enhanced AI completions within Xcode at all. Not from an Apple service, not from a third party. They just don't offer it. There are some GitHub projects that kind of like fake it with like this like plugin architecture thing, but it's nowhere near as seamless as like using Git Copilot in VS Code where people do it for like JavaScript or Python or anything else. So my feature request for the entire of the last year has been let Apple add a extension endpoint to Xcode that allows for these AI auto-completion things to work directly integrated inside the IDE. And I wasn't expecting Apple to make their own. I'd just expect, like, you download the GitHub app for it and it just installs it into the Xcode and you can get on with your day. So far, they haven't shown any interest in doing that. And maybe this is the reason because they're actually planning to just offer their own service and do it that way around. As long as the service works competently, I'm perfectly happy with that being the solution. I don't really care which provider is doing my ai mm -hmm. auto completions when i'm programming as long as it does what i needed to do it doesn't really matter like they i've tried the copilot and a couple of the other similar ones they all kind of work about the same so as long as apple's solution works about the same it, that's great i don't have to worry about sending you know i don't have to worry about the privacy concerns of using third-party companies i can just use it all within apple and that'll be great and i imagine that there's a chance that maybe the Apple one could even work like on device, maybe? Because like hmm. the wider um, LLM stuff, like what they're probably used for Siri, relies on such a big data set that you can't really do it on device, right? You just don't have the storage space, let alone the, pro the, the processing power or the GPU power to actually run it. But for stuff like programming, it's a lot smaller of a domain. So like the structure of code is far less expansive than all of English and so maybe there's a chance they can actually run it locally which would be great if not it'll be going off to like an, X an Xcode server or something in the back end but uh, either way I'm looking forward to it I'm glad that they're doing this I wouldn't have minded a solution that just let me integrate GitHub Copilot but if they mm -hmm. want to run their own version and I guess they'll probably monetize it with services revenue because <laughs> they already launched like Xcode Cloud, which is like continuous integration, which they charge a monthly fee for for developers. Maybe they'll roll this into that. But either way, I'm pretty happy that that's coming apparently this year. Uh, the only thing I would say is I imagine it's not been trained on Apple's internal code bases because then you could accidentally leak out <laughs> Apple code <laughs> if you prompted it in the right way. 
there's plenty of open source code out there. They may have licensed from GitHub. They may have licensed from just the general internet or, or just called the web. They're not going to have a... You wouldn't even need that much code. Like if you have a base model and you just use even like the Apple open source code bases, their own open source code bases, mm-hmm. that's more than enough knowledge to make it work. So they don't have to train it on their own internal stuff, you know, their own private frameworks. They don't have to, they just train it on Apple's own open source code. It'll be more than functional for Apple development, you know. Objective-C, Swift, etc. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about this. This story reminded me of Tim Cook's talking point, you know, where he, for years, said everyone can code, trying to push Swift and coding in education and teaching kids to code from a young age. And now maybe with Xcode AI, everybody actually can code. We'll see, but I thought that was an interesting parallel. Yeah, asterisk, asterisk. It helps, but you still need to know how to code to actually use it. Just like... If you ask ChatGPT math problems or English problems, you know, or exam questions, mm-hmm. you kind of still need to know the subject yourself to know if it's right or not. <laughs> like I've done it before um, where I'm working on something and I ask ChatGPT to make a function for me. Mm-hmm. And just if I don't know how to do it, like it's some like complicated thing or like it's like a thing where like it's a math concept, but you need to implement it in code to make it work. I've asked ChatGPT for, the, for how to do it and it normally spits out in like python or something and you can ask it in swift or whatever and it does a decent enough job but i've looked at the structure of the function that's been created and like it's enough for me to go oh so what i need to do is this but then i actually mm-hmm. implement it myself like i won't actually just copy and paste it you like remake it um so you know you kind of need the working knowledge to make the best use of these tools but in some simple cases then yeah like it can literally just write what you want to do for you and you don't have to do anything so it saves time for sure because you'd be surprised the amount of time you're you're programming something and it's literally just like the exact same thing you've done before with like a different variable name, you know? And it's like, yeah. why do I have to type the whole thing out? And with these AI autocompletes, most of the time you don't have to. Also in Mark's story for us non-developers, he says that Apple is testing a more powerful version of Spotlight Search powered by large language models. Presumably this would be Spotlight on the Mac and iPhone and iPad. He says that the more powerful spotlight would be able to toggle between specific features within apps and answer more complex questions, basically giving you the ability to dive deeper into apps to do specific functions and just kind of turn it into like chat GPT integrated into spotlight, but Apple's own model and maybe not that extensive, but uh, yeah, I mean, if they're going to do it for Siri, exactly. Yeah. Everything seems to point that they are, then it makes very logical sense that they'll do it for spotlight as well because it's basically the same thing just text box rather than by voice so yeah i mean go for it like the i i I, this is almost like a no-brainer if they're going to do it for siri which is the harder problem because it's like you know huge domain space of a virtual assistant spotlight Mm -hmm. is basically just a reduced feature set of siri so kind of follows naturally to me it's already possible too with some of like the third party spotlight replacement things on the mac like raycast Mm -hmm. i know has ai features integrated of all the ways that we've heard rumors about how Apple's planning to use AI, this makes the most sense and would actually, I think, be the most useful, especially for people like us, people like me, because I'm using Spotlight dozens or hundreds of times a day to do various things. And maybe this would just mean I wouldn't have to jump out to Google as often. And maybe it'd be better at finding files and answering questions. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, like, they already do this, not in an AI-powered way, but, you know, you, t- you can type in math problems into Spotlight mm-hmm. and it'll answer them. Mm-hmm. You can type in basic trivia questions and it will try and give you a direct result instead you have to go out to the web. 
this would just be a continuation of that. There are some questions about like privacy, obviously. And this is a thing that kind of applies widely to all of the Apple AI stuff is how much are they going to let you do on device? How much is going to get pushed off to a server and relayed through a back end? With Spotlight, you can kind of see like today, if you type a query into Spotlight on the Mac, it, it is doing a local search on device for your files and your music and stuff. But it's also going to a server, right? So everything you type mm-hmm. into Spotlight is also sent off to back end because at very least you get autocomplete for Google searches, right? So Google at some way is getting your search complete history, you, you know, your, your, your search autocompletes. Um, and then also sometimes it, it can bring forward the weather or anything else. So you can imagine that's what they'll do as well when it's LLM backed is all your local files probably won't be uploaded to the server for analysis. They'll just use an on-device model for that or just carrying using the same model they do right now. Um, or what might happen is like, you type in a query and it, the query goes to the server LLM. The LLM then constructs a query that is like precise to what you can search for on your local device and it sends that mm, back and then actually mm-hmm. does the search locally. Like there's ways to do it where the privacy is more separated instead of just like upload your whole hard drive. Because um, like, you know, like Finder, right? You can do mm-hmm. complicated searches in Finder today where you have multiple filters and like Boolean com- expressions, but obviously no one does that because it, it's a pain to do. But you can imagine if you typed in like a natural language query into Spotlight, the LLM on the server could then reformat what you've typed into a, you know, a predicate thing that could come back down and then mm-hmm. process locally to give you better results. So I think the concerns of privacy are, you know, perfectly valid, but there's very clear solutions in most cases to these problems. Or at least you can see how Apple will approach it. You know, other companies will just go, hey, we'll upload all your data and you can do it on the back end. But you can see ways that Apple will maybe not offer 100% of the features of everybody else, but they can get 80% of the way there while also upholding their privacy standards. They've they've stuck to a lot. My big like open question about Apple's like attitude towards this AI stuff mm-hmm. is how, how um, okay are they going to be with like letting the LM answer like we see a lot of this stuff at the moment where you can make chat gpt or you know google bard or whatever they call it these days <laughs> answer stuff in not the most politically correct or the most like yeah. uncontroversial way and that's where i'm interested in how freewheeling is apple gonna let their llm be or are they gonna lock it down like will you be able to ask the apple llm you know tell me about the news in the style of a pirate, which you can ask ChatGPT <laughs> to do, you know, like, and it can go off all crazy and, and come up with stuff. Uh, like, how much are they going to lock it down? I, in traditional senses, Apple has erred on the side of caution and they're pretty conservative. So you can imagine them not going crazy. So I could see, for instance, with the Spotlight example, you can't ask it random questions and it just spew back paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of human-like text, but they just might use the LLM to get you an answer more accurately. So right now, there might be a hundred different ways you can type in to ask about the weather in a certain place or about a certain time of day or forecast or something. But there's only about three or four ways that the computer spotlight, you know, the, the spotlight program we know today, knows how to interpret that phrase and give you an answer. But you can imagine that an LLM backing allows it to be more flexible in understanding your query and getting you a more accurate result. But at the end of the day, it's still just showing you a weather result. It's not giving you paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of text which is like open-ended so i could see them going more towards the former rather than the latter 
we'll find out. It's uncharacteristic of Apple to go this fast into AI stuff in general. Like when we were talking about this last year, I was skeptical they were going to ship anything this year. To be honest, you know, much yeah. of anything. But uh, German's pretty insistent that they're going all out and full guns blazing. This is sort of related to the going off the deep end with Spotlight LLM stuff. But a few months ago, me and Zach were talking to ChatGPT and trying to get it to like tell us certain things. And what I was trying to get it to do was to tell me to join a cult. like give me advice on why i should join a cult and with enough questioning i was able to get it to like say that if you want happiness and belonging a cult can be a great decision and i said where where's the best place to go and it sent me like actual restaurants that are like fronts for cults apparently in the united states down to like the city that i should go to to find one of those restaurants just one of many examples of how you can kind of manipulate these llms to tell you what you want to be told and of course if siri llm does it I mean, I could write a headline right now. Siri tells me to join a cult. Here's why. And it's front page news. Apple's got to yeah, be and there's, careful. And there's clear motivation for Apple to lock it down and not offer right. all of the functionality as a open chatbot, but they can get most of the way there and get most of the benefit without the risk. We already have, over the years, we've seen stories about Siri where it said the wrong thing, it said something inappropriate. And it still made headlines. And that's Siri as it exists today. I mean, you remember the original Siri? You could ask it where to hide a body. And it would oh, tell yeah. you, like, locations of swamps. <laughs> and that was obviously just something that had been hard-coded into it. But that caused headlines and blowback, and they stopped that from working. Um, There's so also the time Siri like, leaked the date of an Apple event. Remember that? That was, yeah. like, last year, a couple of years ago. That was, yeah, that was a few years ago. It might have been intentional. I'm still unclear whether they yeah. did that on purpose or not. But, yeah, that was funny. But yeah, if you wanted, like, obviously the chatbot stuff is, like, cool and attracts attention and, like, the image generation stuff and blah, 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 blah. There's plenty of opportunity for Apple to make Siri and related services way better with LLM backing without offering open-ended chat boxes. Mm-hmm. One example I'll give, because you could talk about this forever, the Home app, right? You obviously can issue home control commands to Siri right now using your voice. But you have to talk with a very specific syntax and know the kind of keywords you have to hit to make it do it, right? And you can't, like, say, in natural language, turn on this, this, and this, turn off this, and then do this at three o'clock. It just won't. It will just, at most, it will say, we cannot issue multiple commands right now. Ask one at a time, you know, so say something like that. But if you have an LLM interpreting your query there, an LLM will 100% be able to understand what you actually mean and then break it up into a series of actions that it can then mm-hmm. apply to your home behind the scenes. And it will say, done. Right? That is an LLM making Siri way smarter without having it like talk to you like a pirate and maybe say something it should Hallucinate. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm like I, I if they only deliver that, I'll be thrilled. If they go wild and they let you talk to a Siri chatbot, then uh, that'll be interesting. <laughs> but I feel the more I talk about it, the more I feel like they're not going to let you do that. At least they'll have to like put massive beta labo- labels on it on something because it is going to cause problems for them. Every time we talk about Apple's AI stuff, we say that we're waiting for like the Bloomberg story. Apple scales back their plans for AI in iOS 18. So far, we haven't gotten that which I think is a little bit surprising. If anything, it's the inverse. Yeah. So it's maybe like, they're things, doing more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe things are going well. We'll see. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Factor. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off. 
with the hustle and bustle and just business of daily life, you might be looking for convenient cooking options. I know I am. And well, Factor is the answer. Their delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, veggie and more. And there's even more to enjoy with your pick of over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Eat well without the hassle. With Factor, you don't need to spend time and energy on all the usual prep, chop, cook, serve and clean up work. Just heat and eat. And you can skip a trip to the grocery store. At the same time, every Factor meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Now, Chance, I know Factor sent you some meals, right? Mm-hmm. One of the cool things about Factor that I noticed during the, just like the checkout, the purchase process is there are a few different like pre-selected options you can choose. They're Chef's Choice, Keto, Calorie Smart, and Veggie Vegan. I chose the Chef's Choice option and when it arrived, I was really impressed with the variety of meals, different things every day. But the best thing by far, like you said, Mayo, is just the convenience of being able to have them ready to eat in just a couple of minutes without any mess or prep required. Heat it up and it's ready to go and I don't have to take too long of a pause from whatever I'm doing. They also sent some protein shakes and wellness shots, which were good. I know Emily really enjoyed the shakes especially. So yeah, we were impressed with Factor and highly recommended. Get as much or as little as you like by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week and you can pause and reschedule your deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use code happyhour50 to get 50% off. That's code happyhour50 at factormeals.com slash happyhour50 to get 50% off. Thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show. So we got some interesting news about Apple Music Replay this week. For the first time, Apple is doing monthly Apple Music Replay recaps. So basically, at the end of every month, you can go to, what is it? Replay.music.apple.com <laughs> and view your recap for your top songs, top artists, total listening time on a month-by-month basis. So that's pretty cool. But as I just kind of implied, still only available via the web. Can't just go to the Apple Music app and get that information. Which is just stupid. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand the holdup in because you can view your yearly Apple Music Replay playlists in the app itself, but any of the more in-depth data, you have to jump out to the Replay website. And Apple does make it easy to do that right from the Music app, but still, it goes to Safari. A lot of times, it'll prompt you to sign in again. Yeah. yeah, I'm not asking. Like, it would be nice if they had like a fully native UI for it, but at a minimum. When you click on the link in the music app, it's just opening the app web view that's automatically signed into your account. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about logging in and going to a different browser. Just like opening the app web view, most people wouldn't even realize that's what it is, right? They would just move on with the day and see their stats inside the application. Because a lot of Spotify wrapped is technically like a web view in the app itself. It's not. It's more native than that, but it's not super integrated. But nobody complains about that just because it's right in the app itself. It's... It feels native, even if it isn't Yeah, native. exactly, exactly, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the, the visualizations and the stats they offer are pretty nice. You get, you know, milestones, top songs, top artists, number of minutes, and you get some nice animations on the yearly one. But I just feel like it's just, it, it, not just like an elegance perspective, it's just discoverability. Like, by being on the website only, 
people just don't check it out and then they don't share it or they, they, they don't do anything with it. Um, the Spotify one, you know, when it comes around to Christmas, it like prompts you when you open the app, mm-hmm. pop up, here's your replay, you tap one button, you start seeing it. With the music experience, they don't really tell you that the yearly replay is available. There's just like this like one link on like the browse tab and then you tap that and it takes you to a website and then it's like, log in with your Apple ID and you know, most people can't remember their password or they don't have autofill set up and then they just don't bother so feels like an easy improvement they can make uh, but so far no dice which to give them credit this update to add monthly stats is pretty cool mm. and it's something spotify doesn't offer it's it reminds me of last fm which lets you like scrabble and get playback history on a monthly weekly daily basis which offers some really cool data but this apple music replay monthly thing it they deserve credit for actually doing it Another Apple Music-related thing this week is apparently on Android, the Apple Music Android beta app. There's some early signs that Apple Music is integrating with SongShift, which is a third-party service that makes it easy to move your music library and playlists between different music streaming services. So Apple is apparently integrating this in a way that in the app you'll see an option to transfer music from other services Apple says you can add saved music and playlists you made and other music services to your Apple Music library. All of this, like I said, is powered by SongShift, and it seems to be very, very early in the beta testing process and doesn't actually work all the way. But still, it's a integrating with SongShift especially is an interesting decision rather than Apple just building a tool like this itself. I think it's a sign that like Apple's pretty aggressive Apple Music and they don't rest on their laurels and fair play to them they've added a lot of stuff the last yeah. couple of years you know every few months there's something new with apple music and it keeps getting better and better and better so you can't say they don't invest in it i wonder if the integration with song shift well first off it seems risky because song shift has had some problems in the past where spotify or somebody like cuts off their api access mm. so if apple does this and integrates with song shift and then spotify says wait 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 no no we don't want that they just cut them off, and then not only is SongShift screwed, Apple just integrated this into their own app, and they're screwed. But integrating with SongShift... I guess it's slightly better than them doing the work and then them, get, them getting caught. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that. And also, maybe it's like a antitrust thing of some sort. I don't know. But it does solve the biggest problem for most people with changing music streaming services. If you spent years building a library, curating dozens or hundreds of playlists, you don't want to switch from Spotify to Apple Music and then have to rebuild all of that from scratch. This is a much better solution. And SongShift works surprisingly well. I've used it a few times in my ever, ever shifting preferences for music streaming apps. iOS 17.4 Beta 4. So there are a couple of things here that I think are interesting. In the settings app, Apple has updated the battery screen information to kind of make it easier to know at a glance if your battery health is normal or needs to be replaced. So previously, Apple would show you your battery health like percentage. You know, you had 96% maximum capacity, but really without any context about what that means. I think they had like a link to a support document that you could tap to jump out to find more information. But now in beta four, there's an actual explanation of what's normal and what you need to worry about. And it just says like normal on the right. first screen of mm-hmm. battery settings. You don't have to tap through to see it. I think Apple might be kind of actively discouraging people from tapping through and mm. obsessing over the battery health percentage number. If you don't see this when you upgrade, uh, it's only on the iPhone 15. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
So I have a 14 Pro and it doesn't show for me. Like it's the old UI. Which also aligns with last September in iOS 17 with the iPhone 15 launch. iPhone 15 users can see their battery cycle count in settings. Yep. An iPhone, anything earlier, cannot. Cannot. Yeah. You can plug into a computer and use like coconut battery and get mm-hmm. a number. Yep. But directly on the phone, you can't see it. So the other interesting battery-related thing that's sort of tied to 17.4 is Apple. So Apple initially said the iPhone 15's battery could retain up to 80% of its capacity for 500 complete charge cycles. But basically they say they've retested this and that the iPhone 15 can retain 80% of its capacity at 1,000 complete charge cycles. This seems like a really, really good change, and it's Mm. one that seems... I don't want to say too good to be true, but (laughs) surprising that it took them, what, the iPhone 15's been out for six months at this point, five, six months, and now they're saying that, hey, actually, your battery will last twice as long. And they say that their their testing involved charging and discharging the battery a thousand times under specific circumstances representing common use cases. That's why it took five months. It took a long time to recharge the battery a thousand times. (laughs) They also did point out that this isn't due to any specific hardware or software changes for the iPhone 15, but rather just its overall updates to battery components and power management over the years. And they actually say, well, too, clearly that clearly the batteries change, though, because that's why you can see the cycle count on the I think screen. That is, I think what they maybe mean is that there's been no changes in, like, the iPhone 15 in the intervening six months. You know, like they haven't oh, made a okay, hardware. Okay. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Haven't made a hardware change to the iPhone since it launched. It, this is all. Yeah, so all iPhone 15s. Right. Yep. Are rated for a thousand cycles. And they do say that they're investigating and retesting older iPhone models as well. But as of right now, those are still eighty percent capacity at five hundred charge cycles. Well, because it's a funny, it's funny announcement. Because do you remember, like, just before Christmas, there was that big hoo ha that the iPhone 14 Pro batteries were dying faster yep. or seeming to die faster so like people were people were posting their their um, battery percentages for the iphone 14 series and saying well, i'm already at 87 percent or whatever this seems not as good or like my iphone 14 battery battery is worse than previous years and it's like dying sooner and if you do the maths if you're rated for 500 cycles after a year of owning the phone you should be down to about 90 percent because 500 cycles is roughly two years if you're charging like once a day right and so yeah if you buy every september then that by if you buy an iphone 14 in september 22 by the time of september 23 it should be about 90 percent capacity and then by september 24 it'll be 80 percent capacity because they've gone through 500 cycles mm-hmm. so that's just counting <laughs> <laughs> that's but, just math yeah if the 1000 cycle thing is legit right you're getting four years right because that's double it's twice yeah. as long so your battery percentage should theoretically right now still be like near 100 and then only this fall it will be like 95 rather than 90 so like you're getting quite a lot of extra longevity so my iphone 15 pro max battery health is still at 100 percent, and i'm at 177 charge cycles which that kind of suggests that it's on track to outperform even the 1000 number yeah, it's not linear, so it does fluctuate around yeah. a bit. But yeah, roughly, it seems on track for a thousand. And I don't think Apple would make this change if they weren't like a thousand percent sure that they were right, because they've gotten in so much hot water when it comes to battery health and throttling mm. and all of that over the years. So I think they're pretty confident of the, pretty confident in this if they're saying it publicly. 
Yep. And just for completeness, I obviously have a 14 Pro that I bought at launch in 22. And so now it's been, what, a year and a half? And my battery capacity percentage is 88, which is right in line with the 500 cycles. Yeah. Have you plugged it into Cocoa Battery, whatever it's called on the Mac, to see your charge cycles? I haven't recently. I imagine you're probably above the norm a little bit, just like me, but... Mm. The other thing in iOS 17.4, Apple says that it's launching quantum computer protection for iMessage. <laughs> Do you know what that means, Mayo? Because I, I don't. Roughly, what they're trying to say is, right now we have methods of cryptography and encryption that are designed to last a thousand years based on the current processes that could decrypt them, right? Sure. But in the future, we'll have quantum computers which run differently and run can basically do certain operations way, way faster. And so if they exist, they'll be able to decrypt stuff that we currently consider secure. So before quantum computers become commonplace, if they ever exist, but there's advancements all the, all the time, before that happens, they're going to re-encrypt your iMessages using higher security standards so that even a quantum computer can decrypt them. That is the idea. Apple has some like strong messaging around this saying that it gives iMessage the strongest security properties of any at-scale messaging protocol in the world, the most significant cryptographic security upgrade in iMessage history. So they seem to think this is a big deal. So based on what you said, it's kind of the thing that right now is not important necessarily, but it's It's something... It's future-proofing, yeah. Future-proofing, yeah. Yeah, Because one thing bad actors could do is right now they could, like, clone all your data. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in 10 years' time, when they can decrypt it, they can then look at all your data if it's still relevant, mm. theoretically. I don't know okay. if anybody's actually doing that, but like theoretically that could happen. So by encrypting it securely now against supposedly quantum defenses, right? in 10 years they couldn't do that. <laughs> so I like this, not because I like super... like I don't know what they're describing as whether it's actually effective or not, but supposedly it is. And Signal does something similar-ish, which is maybe a reference to the at scale messaging protocol i think apple's saying that they go beyond what signal does too but um the the thing i like about this is it's them being proactive because one of the it's not a great analogy but uh, some of the complaints people have against the monopoly of the app store is that apple kind of sits on its laurels because it doesn't have any competition and so app reviews not as stringent as it maybe could be or the features of the app store aren't as pushed as far as they are or developers aren't kept as happy they're just kind of like going with the flow iMessage obviously has a monopoly on messaging in many regards on the iPhone you know it's the default app it has a lot of priority a lot of prominence in the US it is I think the most popular messaging service um, but I think with iMessage they're actually quite proactive in doing stuff right they 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 promote it as a feature rich super secure platform and this is an example of them sticking to that goal right like whether they got competition or not they're pushing forward and giving you what they say is state of the art messaging security and so if you and when they make arguments about rcs or anything else i feel like this gives them a bit more credence <laughs> you yeah. know like it's like it's like good that they're doing it cuz um, at the time when apple made the rcs announcement we speculated that apple could either has plans to do more for iMessage already or would have to do more kind of to make good on its promise that iMessage is the best and most secure platform for iPhone users. So this is a good example yep. of them 
putting their money where their mouth is on that. Yeah, because the RCS protocol they will be adopting at the end of this year isn't end-to-end encrypted at all, right? But we anticipate that they're working with standards bodies to support that. But when they eventually get around to doing that, they'll be like, well, you can use RCS, which is encrypted end-to-end, or you can use iMessage, which is encrypted against quantum computers. Do you know what I mean? Like They're <laughs> yeah. always pushing the state of the, the, the envelope forward. So I think that's a, that's a good sign, and I'm happy they're doing it, even though I don't think practically most people need to worry about this yeah. <laughs> the potential vulnerability of quantum computers decoding their messages in 15 years time if you're a politician a state actor someone national interest it's different right but as an individual i wouldn't like worry about it too much maybe i'm misguided but you can't it, it can't hurt let me put it that way yeah because this is the type of thing that people don't have to like worry about or really do anything it's just kind of happening in the background to protect them Whereas Apple has something like iMessage contact key verification where there is something the user has to do to opt in and make sure it's working for who they're talking to. And Apple specifically Mm -hmm. says that is for like politicians and state people and people far more important than me and you. But this, it's just there and it works and theoretically it's protecting us in at least some form or fashion. Yeah, and on their blog where they describe this rollout, they have this dotted box which says future which says that additionally, they'll in the future, they'll do PQC authentication, which they don't do right now. Oh. Uh, so you can imagine in a future iMessage update, they will also do continuous authentication with quantum defense encryption. But right now, they're just doing the rekeying process, which is quantum secure. Yeah, I was going to complain about the lack of PQC authentication. Yeah. But they've got it covered. Yeah, I'm switching to WhatsApp. <laughs> WhatsApp, is that even on this chart? It's like way in the back. <laughs> Probably. Oh, it is there. It's at level one. Level. WhatsApp's level one with Line, Viber, and the old version of iMessage. Signal's level two. Then iMessage is level three. So make of that well, what look, you if will. If it's level three, it can't be bad, right? Exactly. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Sign up at fastgrowingtrees.com and use promo code HAPPYHOUR to get 15% off. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States. And as well as plants for the garden and porch, you can grow lemon, avocado, olive or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of house plants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days and along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee they offer free plant consultation forever now zach isn't here but you've heard him talk before about fast growing trees in previous episodes he got two plants from them he got a fiddle leaf fig tree and an areca palm tree i know he loves them they really enlivened the entrance to his house i've seen photos of them on his porch months later they're still going strong they look great and they keep getting bigger and bigger and i know that chance you also have some trees coming from fast growing trees correct I have the braided Madagascar dragon tree coming, which sounds and looks very cool. I've actually seen Zach's plants on his front porch, like in person. And yeah, they look good. Yep. And we'll talk about your dragon plant in a future episode, I'm sure. You don't need the hassle to drive around to nurseries and big garden centers, wait in long lines, and then worrying about loading big plants up in your car. Fast Growing Trees makes it super easy to order online and your plants are shipped to your door in just one to two days and their experts curate thousands of plants you can find the perfect fit for your specific climate location and needs plus they have growing care advice available 24 7 
So you can talk about how best to add some privacy, shade or natural beauty, how to take care of your plants or anything else that you might need. Right now, they have the best deals online up to half off on selected plants. And listeners to our show can get an additional 15% off when using the code HAPPYHOUR at checkout, all one word, no spaces. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code HAPPYHOUR at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, promo code HAPPYHOUR. Offer is valid for a limited time. Tell them that we send you. Thanks to Fast Growing Trees for sponsoring the show. I didn't really have this on my bingo card for this week or really ever, but Apple has released an Apple Sports app for iPhone. The focus yeah, seems to be a bit random. Yeah, very random. It Apple News has had a sports tab for a while, but this is kind of just them breaking out some of that, some of those features, removing some of those features into a dedicated sports app where the goal is on just showing you the scores of your games from your favorite teams as quick and easy, clutter-free as possible. It looks pretty good, I think. It's very, it's bare bones, but in a good way, I think. Yeah, it's pretty good for a first release. Like, it is kind of weird that, this kind of reminds me of the Apple Classical thing, where it's like, yeah. do you really need another separate application just for the sports scores when you already have a sports tab in the news app and a sports tab in the TV app, and some of them do already show scores? But this app is like dedicated, at least right now, to just showing the scores of people of teams that you follow really, really quickly. And once you get it set up, it does do that. I think the setup process was a bit fiddly. It is, in, yeah. In my testing, it does automatically sync teams that you've um, favorited from the My Sports section in News and TV. But I think a lot of people don't use those sections, so they'll be coming to the sports app completely fresh. That's and how I was. It has like yep. a weird list where you have to favorite the teams that you want to show, but you can't just click on the row. You have to click on the tiny little star icon on the left. So there's some niggles in terms of how it's designed. But once you get through the configuration, you don't really have to look at that list screen again. You can just look at the main screen where it has yesterday, today, and upcoming matches. And it shows the matches. It will show the scores. It will show the team, um, the, the roster. It can show you where they're currently standing compared to other teams in the league. If the game's ongoing, you get play-by-play um, descriptions. You get the lineups, and if it's a football game, you get like the red cards and stuff. You get the goals and the times, like uh, a lot of information in there. And you can just swipe between them to 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 switch between games. So if you have a lot of teams, like if you only follow one team, and you only really care about say football, Arsenal, you don't really care about anything else. Mm-hmm. Maybe the app's a bit superfluous because it's really it's really designed for you to follow like five, six, ten teams, maybe a whole league, and then see all the sports scores in one go in one big list. If you're just following one, it's kind of maybe overkill for that. But if you if you are following like a whole sport, pretty good layout. Even if you're just following one team though, if this is a dedicated app in general might be overkill, but this is still the best solution and the least overkill option compared to something like ESPN, which if you're following just one team is arguably a worse experience just because there's so much other clutter around it at least apple sports just shows you that one team score and nothing else yeah it's pretty nice like there was some funny comments where people like this looks like vision os because it's got transparency (laughs) it's like oh god uh not really i don't think i think it mostly looks like the news app yeah if you open the news app and go to the sports tab in the news app a lot of shared ui like the buttons shapes it looks sort of like a hybrid of the news app and also the journal app to a certain degree 
Mm-hmm. The journal app is also like a very rudimentary implementation in terms of interface for a sport for a journaling app. And this is kind of the same thing for a sports score app. As for why Apple did this, I really think it was just Eddie Q wanted it. Mm-hmm. So he tasked like two people inside Apple to make it for him. I mean, he said that in an interview, right? Like he said, I just wanted a simple app to view scores. His exact wording is even better. He said, it was Jason Snell. He said, I just want to get the damn score of the game. And it's really hard to do because it seems like it's nobody's core feature. So we said, we're going to make the best sports app possible. The best sports app you could possibly make. Which for I scores. Guess, sport. Yeah. For scores. That's one criticism I might have. If like, if that's the only feature it's ever going to do, they maybe should have called it sports scores, not Apple sports. Yeah. Because if you call it Apple Sports, it kind of feels like an all-in-one thing where people want to come to it to see news. They want to see off-season information. They want to see trades. They want to see, you know, all sorts of stuff. And at least in the first release, it doesn't do any of that. Like, there's no news coverage. Like, even news, like, in the news, if you go to, if you open sports in news, the Mm -hmm. same teams that you can follow in the sports app will have news, right? But in the sports app itself, there's no news to see. And you can't even link out to the news section. So... Either they're planning to evolve it over time or they should rename it, is my opinion on that. There's no notifications. There's no live activities. There's no widget. The live activities thing is pretty lame because that's following sports is like one of the best use cases of live activities in general. Which you can do in the TV app. Right, yeah. You can follow live activities of ongoing Apple TV sports games but you can't do it in the sports app. I'm sure some of that will get built over time, but version 1.0 doesn't exist. And in our coverage of this, the most common response to people who didn't read the article was that there was no support for NFL. (laughs) The NFL season is over, and Apple says support for MLB, NFL, NCAA football, WNBA will be available for their upcoming season. So it is weird that they didn't get this out in time for the NFL playoffs, but it's here now. I think they shipped it when they did because it was literally the first day of the MLS season. That so is also true. Yeah. They wanted to be out for that. But I hope it does evolve because, like, I can see scores being like the top thing. And it is fast for seeing the scores because you can combine so many teams together and see them all in one place. Um, but it would be nice if you could, like, watch the game without having to leave the app especially at the apple games like the mls games right now what you get is an opening tv button so you get spunked out to another application to view the video feed and over time it'd be nice that they could integrate more of that directly i also feel like i should be able to see the news for the teams inside the app too like it doesn't have to be top level but like if i'm clicking on a team i can see the lineup but then i want to like Maybe see the stats of the individual players or see the news about the players or the trades that are going in the offseason. That's a complaint I saw about people saying that it doesn't have the, you know, like the um, MLB yet. It's because obviously there's like um, spring practice and stuff happening. Spring training, and, yes. Yeah, spring training, whatever you call it. Uh, <laughs> that is not acknowledged at all in the application right now. It wouldn't really have a purpose because it's only scores, right? Uh, but other sports apps, i.e. apps that have sports in the name, do more than just scores. So maybe Apple misleads people by the naming here slightly if their only intent is for it to show scores and nothing else. Well, the one other thing it does show is betting odds, which is an interesting decision. I don't really have a problem with it, but some people are super worked up about it because you can also go to the settings app and disable betting odds so they don't show up. I don't, in comparison, if you go to a 
direct app like DraftKings, which is where Apple's getting their betting data, you see so much more, so many more betting odds and bet options than you see in Apple's app because Apple just shows you like the money line, the over under and the spread. And that's, that's information that I think even if you aren't gambling on a game, it's still useful to see, see who the favorite is, see what the line is. I don't, there's a lot of over, over, I don't know. The people are reading into this too much and saying that it's, oh, Apple's going to add betting to the app. I don't think that's it in the slightest. Yeah. If they do add betting to the app, I'll agree with you. It's basically yeah. stupid. But just showing you the odds is like pretty commonplace for sports apps these days. Like, And at least on like threads and Twitter and stuff, that's the narrative that has kind of dominated is the betting odds inclusion, which is whatever. Maybe it should be opt in instead of opt out, but I think it's fine. I think it's tasteful because there's not even a link to DraftKings, right? Which is like, another thing that went viral on threads was somebody saying that there were affiliate links to DraftKings, which there's not. There's no affiliate links. There's no ads. There's nothing. It's just a little yeah, tiny it's table. just three lines of text yeah. for betting odds. Um, and you can turn it off in the settings. If they do later turn it into a monetization opportunity, I'll agree with you. That's distasteful and they shouldn't do yep, it. I agree. But they haven't done it. Um, I think this app may eventually grow advertising or some other way to make money eventually but at least right now it's like eddie q wanted an app to view sports scores he couldn't find one he's like <laughs> we do some sports stuff maybe we should just make the app and then he assigned a couple of people to go make it and here it is i really don't think there's any like nefarious goal behind conspiracy it theories yeah yeah somebody did point out to me that it's similar to a website that i didn't know existed called planed or called plain which actually looks really cool. It basically just shows you like the scores of the game and the upcoming games and for different sports. It's pretty cool. Just wanted to recommend that if you want something on your Mac because this sports app from Apple is only on the iPhone. Not on the Mac, not on the iPad, just on the iPhone. Also like Journal in that regard. Or like Apple Classical. That started iPhone only, then they ended an iPad version later. Then they added a CarPlay app and broke it and removed it, I think. I don't think it's back on CarPlay yet. So Yeah, I don't think CarPlay's back yet. But this is let me put it this way. I think this is a better one than the journal app is. Really? You think so? I think so. Because at least the journal app has like the suggestions aspect. I think the problem with the journal app is after you make journal entries, you can't review them very well. That is that's true. So like you write into it and then with the hope that one day the app will be better at showing them again. <laughs> Although in the sports app, one limitation I did notice is that you can only go back to scores from the previous day. Mm. You can't go back any further than that, which is kind of lame, especially if like your team didn't play yesterday, like they played two days ago. You can't see if they won or if they lost or see specific information about that game. Yeah, that is a limitation that maybe they could fix in, in time. But I think if you want an app, like, if they called it Apple Sports Scores, this is a yeah. really good 1.0. They mm-hmm. called it Apple Sports, which then made people hype it up a bit too much and then realize that it doesn't actually do the other stuff. Uh, so that was a mismarking of it. But for a, for an app, they ran and released on a Wednesday or whatever it was. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is pretty good. <laughs> and it's not, it's not notably included in the OS. Yes, At least correct. currently. You have, to, you have to go to the app store to download it. Maybe in the future when they build out the features and expand it a bit more, it will become OS integrated. But right now, you go to the App Store and download it. When they add gambling, it will become OS integrated. (laughs) Another final piece of sports news this week. Apple has teased its first 
sports-related Apple immersive video piece of content for Vision Pro. So Apple says, coming soon, Vision Pro users will be able to experience the best of the 2023 MLS Cup playoffs with the first-ever sports film captured in Apple immersive video. So that's 8K 3D with 180-degree field of view and spatial audio. This sounds pretty, pretty cool. It is the first kind of update we've gotten from Apple about their content plans for immersive video, other than the sort of sizzle reel that's in the TV app and the four current immersive video options. Yeah, the short episodes that they have. None of which are sports. And this, they say, specifically a sports film. So, like, I feel like it's got to be long, or at least like a at least documentary, half an hour. like a yeah, yeah. Because like the the episodes that are in the for Vision Pro right now that are in immersive are like ten minutes each, and there's only like three of them. Uh, so it feels a bit lackluster. Because uh, even like like the like the nature documentary one, for instance, mm-hmm. the episodes only like eleven minutes. Yeah, you know, a normal nature documentary like the other ones on Apple TV Plus, they're all like half an hour episodes, hour long episodes, like they're proper episodes the all the stuff in the vision pro immersive section just feels like demo reel content at the moment like what you see play on tvs when you go in the shopping center um this sounds like a proper produced film in 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 terms of a look back on the 2023 playoffs for mls so if you're a big mls fan uh, i think you'll really enjoy this uh it does maybe speak to the current limitations of the format and the fact that it's something that was made like what five months ago like it feels a bit old at this point yeah and but i think i think going live is not going to happen no uh, there's just too much data to, to live stream and i think not just live streaming data bandwidth um, constraints i also think there's post-processing that goes on so like after the raw camera feed is taken off these immersive video cameras it then has to like something happens to the video like i think it has to be like fused together maybe some seams have to be like edited out after the fact like i don't think they can even if bandwidth wasn't a problem i don't think they can immediately stream them they might be able to do that for a lower quality 3d stream like because um MetaQuest has a deal with is it the nfl they got to do with one of the big leagues where you can watch live game or you can watch games in 3d Hmm. Um, already through the MetaQuest headset but it's nowhere near the same fidelity and resolution and quality of the immersive video stuff um, we're not quite there yet to do that live I think the important context too is most sports aren't even streamed in 4k yet <laughs> and I think this most football games aren't 4k and the first 4k Super Bowl was just like a couple of years ago so the jump from 4k to 8k immersive 180 degree video I think it might in terms of live broadcasting, might take a while. Yeah, even Apple's MLB and MLS games aren't 4K, are they? They're not. They're high bit rate. High 1080p. bit rate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I th- I'm hoping that they announce some concerts because that's what I want. I'm not a huge sports fan. Just saying it for the truth, but I'm shocked. I think sports uh, is less. It dates more quickly than concerts do like yeah, concerts that's true. you can watch again and again and again even if i'm an mls fan i'm not sure i care about the mls cup playoffs at this point at the start of the 2024 season it depends on how documentary style it is like if it includes yeah, like that is true. interviews and stuff with players that could be more evergreen but yeah if it's just like clips of the game hodgepodge together and eh, i don't know about that but yeah if they can get concerts um that'd be really compelling 
And with concerts, I think they could... Because one of the things I think about in terms of practicality is like, it's a lot of work for them to make these things and pay for these things if they're only ever going to be available to Apple Vision Pro, which is a small user base, right? Mm-hmm. Just by definition. With concerts, the the angles that you'd get with spatial video, they kind of just like fly on the wall angles that people, even if you won't watch them in 3D, might enjoy. Like obviously it'd be best if you watch them yeah. in immersive, but if not, they could just stream them through the TV app anyway. And like, here's what we shot on these cameras, but you don't see it in 3D unless you have a Vision Pro. And so I feel like there's more reuse of that footage than just dedicated shooting it for that purpose, if you know what I mean. I was doing some research on Coldplay VR concerts the other day. And actually, of course you were. Obviously, as one does. In 2014, I think they did a VR concert that was actually shot by Next VR, the company that Apple acquired. And that was 2014. Then they did another VR concert in partnership with Samsung in 2017. So VR concerts have like been a thing for a while. And the company Apple acquired, Next VR, was one of the like leading companies doing it. I'm kind of surprised, A, that we haven't seen any of the Next VR catalog come to Vision Pro, and B, that we haven't seen any announcements. If they have the infrastructure with the Next VR acquisition to do this, and Next VR has been doing it since 2014 or earlier. The pace at which we're getting in this news is kind of disappointingly slow. Yeah, and and live concert wise, you don't even need like sports right deals. You just pay for the concerts individually, or you make your own concerts, which is exactly yeah. what they do for Apple Music Live, right? Mm-hmm. They have they had I don't know how to pronounce his name S Z A Scissor Scissor yes oh, Scissor. Yep, there was an Apple Music Live exclusive concert like a week ago with Scissor, and literally today they've got one with Jennifer Lopez. Uh, but none of them are in immersive that we know of. You know, S-Z-A for SZA, is that better or worse pronunciation than Tatone for Tatooine? I don't know. <laughs> it's up there. It's up there for one of the biggest artists in the world. But It might be up there, but yeah. Sorry, Scissors. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that's all for... Oh, one more thing on MLS, actually. No free MLS season pass for T-Mobile customers this year, which yep. kind of sucks. I've also seen far less like free trials and promotions yeah. going around in general. Like last last time round, it was the first season of season pass. They went pretty heavy on the marketing and the here's free trials and you can watch it for free and blah blah blah. Here's a promotion and it's free for T-Mobile. This time around, not so much. Fifteen dollars a month or twelve ninety nine if you got TV. It's true. I still think it's too expensive, but there you go. Should be cheaper. I think in the compare the in comparison to other sports packages, I think that's actually pretty cheap. So it is, but it is MLS. So yeah, it's just a lower league. It just it's just a lower tier of sport. All right, that does it. Before Mayo makes more people mad, you can, <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Ad free version of the show for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year. Send us feedback. Happy hour at nine to five back dot com. Find me on Threads, Twitter, Mastodon, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? At BZMAO. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.